I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to the Rugby League Digest. I'm Michael Adams here with Andrew Paskin. How's it going, Andy? I'm well, mate. How are you? Uh, very well. So uh, as promised, this is a little bonus episode for you this week. We talked about the idea of Rugby League 30 for 30s in last week's bonus episode, uh, put that out on our socials, and I, I couldn't believe the response we got. Overwhelming response of... Uh... Great ideas and a few hilarious ones to boot. <laughs> the closest we'll probably ever come to going viral, it, it just absolutely blew up, which I think goes to show you. And, and when I listened to that bonus episode, I realized we said the, the phrase no-brainer about 50 times <laughs> in the space of 15 minutes. So I'm, I'm trying to ban that phrase from tonight's episode. But it just it just goes to show you what... I'm going to break my rule. What a no-brainer it is yeah, for yeah. someone, whether it's the NRL or Fox... To, to do this. We got over 140 odd responses, I think it was in the end, over various socials, email, the rest of it. And there was a lot of overlap, but I'd say we probably got 80 or 90 different documentary ideas out, out of that list. Too many to name all the people that sent them in, but thank you so much. That was uh, really good fun reading them, I can tell you. And I got to say, some creative brains out there as well. I'm amazed by some of the suggestions. And yeah, there, there are too many people to name individually. So we're just going to do a blanket, uh, no names at all, and, and go through the ideas. But I uh, wanted to say how much we appreciate you engaging with this. Uh, so I thought the best way of doing this was just to go through the list and individually pick out some of our favorites. I've got them grouped into different categories. I wanted to start with the on-field stuff. And if, as a few people mentioned, 30 for 30 isn't the only sports documentary series. Uh, and another organization that has done amazing work in this field is the NFL. I think the NFL Films was set up in the late 60s, early 70s. It's been going for a very long time. They make consistently high quality, very interesting documentaries. Uh, and, and most of that's related to on-field stuff. So they've got a, a series. I've got the box set. It's called America's Game. Uh, and that basically goes through each Super Bowl season. It goes starts with the, the winners, their first game, goes through their season, all the highs and lows throughout that season, interviews key people involved. Uh, and it, it's so good. And that's something that should just be done every year in the NRL. Well, I, uh, I, I've seen a few of those America's games, and I just thought they were the same as the 30 for 30s because it's just both of the highest quality. And considering that I don't even like the sport and I love those docos, is incredible. Yeah, they're, they're fantastic. So for a start, it should just be every season gets that treatment. Like you'd probably have to start it with, say, South 67 because you really do need the, the key players involved. And, uh, I mean, we've missed the boat with that Dragons era. 
and all the the teams before that. But with South, you've still got um, most of the the stars of that team alive and kicking. Yeah. So a, a lot of the suggestions we got were that sort of thing. Some individual seasons. Uh, you know, the '89 Grand Final, of course. 2005 was a very popular one. Um, I think 2005 is one of the perfect starting points, to be honest. Mm. Yeah. And then you've got a slight variation of that looking at different dynasties. You know, Parramatta 81 to 83 would be a, a very compelling series. And Let me ask you this question about dynasties. I mean, we're seeing Roosters in one now. It doesn't feel the same anymore, a dynasty. Or is that only because we're in it now? I think, uh, yeah, I, I think it's more that. And also, I don't, I don't think two's a dynasty. I, I mean, in, in this era, you could say that it is because it's been 20 years since anyone's done it. But it, it still feels like three or maybe three and four is required before you can say, yep, this is a dynasty. Yeah. I mean, we had the Melbourne teams and you could say that was an era, the yep. Melbourne era. And then you've got the Canberra and Brisbane eras. Yeah, um, I, I, I think I think that's a, a good way of putting it. Era and dynasty are two uh, distinct things as, as much as they have any you know objective value the way we use them in sports. Well, I mean, era is probably probably better for rugby league when you look at entertainers, dogs of yeah, war, yeah. Parramatta teams. Yeah, exactly. And a slight variation on the Americas game is just an on-field focus. So a lot of origin suggestions as well. Uh, a complete story of origin done right would, you know, obviously be a very important document. Some standalone origins, obviously, Joey Game 2, 2005, uh, the Alan Langer SOS, the Queensland 1995 victory that we talked about in our Super League series. Yeah, the um, to be honest with you, like my favourite ones out of this whole bunch are the obscure ones, the obvious ones, which I think would rate probably well. But I say they'd rate better the obvious ones, but the, it's, it's the obscure ones that you don't expect that really itch in the heartstrings. I mean, one close to my heart is uh, suggested by a listener is the Brett Mullins four tries and by extension, the Brett Mullins run. Yeah. I'd love to see that. Yeah, I do like those like really like micro targeted, you know, not a whole season or, um, you know, a dynasty, but just like this one little event within a season. I, I like that idea. Someone suggested the head high tackle on Craig Smith in the 1999 grand final. Uh, I, I don't recall such an incident or, in fact, such a grand final taking place. So maybe you could do a documentary on why there was no grand final in 1999. <laughs> um, but th that person's been blocked from all our socials, so uh, thanks for that. I, I think in terms of an obvious one that people would eat up, the cheap and spud rivalry would be amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah, just just for the visuals, it, it, that would be um, and and in the era it was in as well. Like it, it's definitely a, a you could do that uh, in in some very smart ways. I I, I think the, the the key to these thirty for thirties is how they're produced. It's like if we had all these great topics and it was done in a footy show way or a, you know a G up way or. Even in a, in a Channel 9, in a schmaltzy Channel 9 way, it wouldn't be the same. It'd have to be done in the, in the same style. It's the key to it. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think that's the difference between 30 for 30 and the NFL films is the NFL films, it's as high quality as they are, they are still, it's an advertisement for their sport. Whereas 30 for 30, you've got that one level removed. But 
Um, the other thing that NFL films does really well is those kind of a football life documentaries where you, you get just a profile of individual characters within the game. My favorite ones. I, 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 my, have you ever seen the Bill Belichick one? No, I haven't watched that. Killer. But I, I think that's a better a better format for those individual profiles than a, a 30 for 30. The best 30 for 30s, I think, are telling stories, not biographies. Yeah, I think we're being pedantic, even though I raised the point. But it's uh, either way, these stories, as long as they're in a serious but not over-the-top way, I think we've been under a winner. Yeah, for sure. Well, what are some of those individual profiles that, that stand out for you? Well, I mean, the one that, that would tear the heartstrings would be Ryan Tandy, for mm. starters. That story's something that's got to be told, I think. Yeah. Just awful. Uh, but the one that I would love to see the most done right, Philip Gus Gould. Yeah. Uh, we we got a couple of suggestions for that, and I think that that's right up there. Uh, Frank Hyde was suggested. I, I really like that story. That would be a really good one. And um, the other one that stood out to me was the Cleal brothers. Yeah, that's a, see that that's the sort of what I'm talking about. The one that you wouldn't expect. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that that would be very fun to watch. Uh, and then this one again is just I don't know why the NRL hasn't commissioned this for every immortal. Just a one hour documentary life story of each of the immortals you know that's just that should have been done like you, you know when the last batch of immortals was announced it's a disgrace to the port brand i tell you <laughs> the um it's I mean, an amazing oversight isn't it when you think about yeah, it yeah uh there, there were a few suggestions from what, what i've called the black and white era where you'd have to do it in a different style because you don't have the talking heads or the the footage you know so the Dragons 11 in a row, obviously a personal one for me and one that I think like needs to be – like it, it would be so good to get a series on that. Yeah, I mean um, it's the same with Bradman, Bradman Dockers. Like they're still interesting, but you, like it's just not the same. It's like when you're interviewing Dalian Messenger the ninth, you know, about the era, it's like we need to uh, – yeah, I think it's better to have the first-hand accounts or at least once removed. <laughs> it, it's true, but then, you know, like – Ken Burns didn't interview any Civil War vets, and he still managed to churn out a, a you know pretty decent show. So, I mean, it it it, it can be done. Uh, but yeah, so a, a lot of the the suggestions we got, you know, the fifty three US tour, uh, you know, the the story of French rugby league, even the the nineteen seventy four Amco Cup, which the uh, the team from the bush winning the whole thing, like a lot of that footage has been taped over and doesn't exist. So. The further back you go, the harder it is to do a documentary. You know how upsetting it is to always hear that? Yeah, so they're trying to save money, so they taped over the greatest things <laughs> in history. The French one would be awesome. Mm. Just a, a few humorous ones that, that stood out to me. We, we got a, a lot of suggestions uh, for John Hopawati. I wouldn't want to see it, I've got to be honest. <laughs> I, I, it's well down on my list as well, but one person called it John Hopawati, spare peg in a round hole, missing a golden opportunity for square peg in a brown hole. I thought they did say that. No, no, I, I, I put that into my notes. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> um, possibly the, 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 you know, the story on, on everyone's minds is the ship shapes. Where's our ship shapes documentary? So that, that would, uh, would be a good one. Well, I'm, I'm right behind that, as you know, and the call goes out again. Does anybody know a former ship shape? And if they do, can you please direct them our way to the uh, rugby league digest at gmail.com? Thank you very much. Uh, and then in, in the best tradition of 30 for 30, a lot of serious suggestions as well. There's ones that like I think could be done in a very journalistic, you know, four corners expose style. 
the various salary cap scandals, the the sharks, peptides, etc. Yeah, I, I saw like there's a few ones that you've seen before on TV as well. The Paul Haywood story, which is bloody tragic and incredible. Alex McKinnon's tragic injury, that sort of thing. Which will be, I mean, they're all home runs. But the one I saw as well, which I think is a genius idea, is the Craig Field story. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the one of those that really stood out for me was Peter Jackson. Yeah, I mean, God, that's heartbreaking. Mm. I mean, I still remember the day that he passed away. It was like the most shocking thing. Yeah. I was like 17, yeah. and I, I hadn't really seen a famous footballer die until, until then. And I think, I, I'm pretty sure that was the first time I became aware of the idea of demons, that this guy that seemed so funny and, you know, like he was such a presence could have had this other life that, you know, in the end, you know, it all became too much for him. Yeah, and then, like, it's so tragic because everybody to a man reckons he was the best bloke yeah, ever, yeah. including Flo, mm. his best mate, and then, um, you know, the, the child abuse and all the rest of it, just horrific. Mm. But I'll tell you something about demons. We need to get hold of them. Demons are doing a lot of bad things. Demons are drink driving a lot. Demons are beating up their missus. Demons is the problem. That's shocking. So just just a few general ones. The story of rugby league in Papua New Guinea. I love that. There was was also a suggestion for the Stanley Jean slash Jenna story, which I think is even better. Mm. If we can tie tie, tie them in together, maybe. Yeah, for sure. Um, Along similar lines, the Olsen Filipana story and touching on his role as a pioneer uh, of Pacifica football and looking at from then to now uh, would just be gripping. Uh, and again, like re- a really important story. That's incredibly important considering the impact it had on the competition. Mm. And one that maybe didn't have the same in- impact on the competition, but one which would be very entertaining is the Manfred Moore story. And, and taking that all the way through to, to Greg Smith, going back to the influence that, American football was having on coaches like Jack Gibson in the seventies, uh, and then all the way through to you know seeing that story in, in reverse in the last few years with players heading over to the states. Also, that that just jogged my memory. Then the Greg Smith uh, idea, um, the one we can't forget about is the football life on walk. I mean, yeah, that's got to be number one on the list, yeah. isn't it? Uh, and then lastly, uh, obviously, a lot of Super League stories were were thrown in the mix as well. Like, an idea for a complete history of Super League, which, you know, I think that's been done, mate, you know. but <laughs> <laughs> Well, how many, how, many, how many volumes would that be, Michael? I <laughs> know. <laughs> uh, so, obviously, we would definitely support that. Um, what are some of the individual stories within Super League uh, that you think would, would be the, the best for a, a documentary? Well, the one that's been asked about since the moment we started this odyssey is from all angles, from listeners to us, to rugby union players, to everybody else, the 1997 World Club Challenge. That, that seems to be a consensus, doesn't it? It's just so perfect, ripe for the storytelling, this this monumental cost outlay and expectations of great, <laughs> greatness. When, when we started this, I had no idea that the one question we would get above all others would be... Are you covering the '97 World Club Challenge? <laughs> well, as a guy who was expecting it to be the best thing in the world, and then being sorely disappointed, I could see why. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so we we don't want to labour the point. Uh, 
go check out our uh, Facebook and Twitter to see all those great suggestions that have, have come through uh, because and I hope someone important is listening or someone who knows someone important can point them in, in that direction because you're struggling for content at the moment and you've got like a hundred brilliant suggestions like just waiting for you, waiting for someone to do something with them. Well, Michael, I'm going to do a uh, Google Doc and release it on the socials with the episode. Oh, so. that's a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. So they'll be all in one spot. I yep. that's, a, cool. that's a better idea. Yeah, perfect. So uh, look out for that. Uh, that is it for uh, this conversation. We're going to now throw to our discussion on the 1985 Challenge Cup. Uh, I'm really looking forward to listening back to that. Uh, again, if you haven't watched that game, I'd suggest pausing the podcast, going to YouTube. It's all up there, watching the whole game, then coming back to us. Uh, but we will be back with Chapter 20 of the Super League War on Wednesday. So with that, we'll get out of here. Here is our discussion on the 1985 Challenge Cup final. We're actually going to turn our attention to the English game this week. Uh, the Challenge Cup final took place on Saturday night our, ta- our time, with Hull winning for the second year in a row with an 18-14 victory over Wigan. It was the fourth time Hull and Wigan have played to- against each other in the Challenge Cup, first victory-, victory for Hull. But there was a lot of talk about the-, the 85 Challenge Cup final. Yeah, absolutely. Which is famously remembered as the Kenny versus Sterling match. Um, a bit before our time, unfortunately. bit before our time, we both sat down and watched the game. The first time I'd seen it. Magnificent is, oh, it, is the only word for it. I, I, I want to save the talk about the game itself for a bit later, but watch this game if you have the opportunity. It's on YouTube in full. Yeah, it's yeah sensational game. I want to just do a shout out to a few uh, media outlets and organisations that have been talking about this game. Uh, all of these have to some degree informed what we're going to talk about here. But uh, a couple of podcasts, BBC Manchester Rugby League, Five Live Rugby League, both talked about the game at length. Rugby League Hub published an interview that Steve Mascot did with Peter Sterling as part of the match program for the game. Uh, and also my favourite of all, great uh, Rugby League Twitter follow, Stephen Russo. He does these things where he, he does like a Twitter before Twitter and like goes and finds a historic match or event and like acts as if Twitter was around. Oh, cool. So like... He did this one for the Challenge Cup and you had like fake tweets from like Ray Price and <laughs> Jack Gibson and everything. Um, great, uh, great um, read. So we, we might uh, retweet that on the Rugby League Digest Twitter handle, which is at League Digest. So give us a follow if you're not following us already. Excellent. It's, um, let me just stop you there. We've discussed at length how we have fallen away from the English game a little bit, how much we loved it as, as young fellows. Who do you actually support? I don't even know that. Well, I, my um, my grandfather was from Huddersfield, birthplace of, of rugby league. In 1895, when the the split happened and they met at the George Hotel, my great-grandfather was living a 15-minute walk away. Wow. So I, I have very, very strong feelings about Huddersfield. Or Huddersfield, yeah. as, they, as they say. I'm a St. Helens guy by virtue of... I was a big Kieran Cunningham fan when yeah. I was young. 
and you know, anti-Wigan. Mm. So I was going for Hull. Yeah. <laughs> just just because just of the Glamour Club, anti-Glamour Club. Yeah. Thing. But I just thought I'd, I'd get it out there about two... Um, um, it's funny you mentioned St. Helens because... I thought you might have been uh, on, on board with St. Helens because of Mal Meninga, who was... Yeah, but it was all that. But it was just... Uh, whoever was against Wigan, I, I was with, you know. Yeah. I watched every game on the 94 tour. Yeah. Um, you know, I quite liked... Um, was it Open Rugby, the magazine? Yeah, yeah. Was the uh, English one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Reading about Halifax. And Michael Hagen was at Halifax. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's funny. Um, when we were growing up, Wigan were the Glamour Club. They won like eight Challenge Cups in a row. It seemed that they were English Rugby League in the eyes of, of people like us who were, you know, teenagers at the time. But that 85 Challenge Cup was their first win for like 20 years or something. Yeah. And kick-started that run with, with some, some of the great players like Sean Edwards. Ellery Hanley came the next year and built the dynasty from there. But... It was a really funny time for Australian rugby league. And to our English listeners, I apologise. This this segment does have a, a heavy slant on the Australians playing the English game at the time. Obviously, Sterling and Kenny. But you had Wally Lewis going to Wakefield the season before. Mal Meninga at St Helens. Uh, a whole host of other players. You mentioned Michael Hagen. Chris Anderson was at Halifax. Um, uh, Eric, Eric Groth was at Leeds. A uh, bunch of players were, were all playing uh, in England in the Australian off-season in this era. And it, it's amazing the impact they made. Yeah, and that was always so cool because you had the off-season thing in, in those yeah, days. Yeah. And like just the fact that you could go, I'm going to play the entire season of Australian Rugby League and earn a few bucks overseas playing directly after. Yeah, yeah. And, just, yeah. and now they complain about how many playing too many games. Yeah, and, exactly. Yeah. And, and with relatively short stints, like I think... Wally Lewis played like 10 games for Wakefield and to this day he's like a Wakefield legend. Same as Joey with Warrington. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. It, it, but to me, it's that, that's the cool thing is they don't have the ego about it. It's like, oh, well, you come in and take my position. They're, like, they're glad to have an Australian come yeah. in and try and boost the club, the profile and the, yeah, and the yeah. team. Well, uh, one, I was, was reading a lot about the era and one guy who, who was a Hull fan talked about how he knew, he knew Sterling from the 82 kangaroo tour it was his favorite player and he got home one day from school and his dad you know was like he's coming (laughs) (laughs) and uh, Mal Meninga said that he's to this day like embarrassed of the attention he receives in St. Helens he's like held up as a hero 30 years later um but the, the crazy thing about it is that Australian clubs actually allowed it yeah I think it was just like in those in those days, it's like well, they can they can keep fit and everything. But what if they got injured? Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, funny, like a, a lot of Sterlo's comments at the time. There's there's an arrogance about the way he was speaking about it that I didn't know that he had that in him. Like he was he basically played nonstop from the start of 1982 through 1985. Um, basically, didn't have an off season in all that time, and. Uh, this is one one quote he, he said in, in 1985. I've always said that I could play football year-round. I think the body can handle it. It's only the mind that goes stale. Rugby league's the most important thing in my life. A footballer's time in, is limited and becoming more so. I want to cram in as much as possible. Uh, in another interview, he said that he you know he never got injured, so he was sweet. I don't think that's that arrogant. I think it's kind of uh, endearing. He loves the game so much. 
yeah, I, I guess there were there were other comments that I didn't didn't quote where he's talking about how he, he still thinks he's the best in the game and he can get his <laughs> job back, you know, which he was, to be fair. I but, I remember his book and he was very um, dismissive of, of players staying down injured and he goes whenever you. If, if, if it's a defensive line, you better be in it to, mm. to help your teammates. Like, yeah. I've got no, I've got no um, respect for people that stay down and stuff. Yeah. I thought that's a bit, <laughs> it's a bit crooks to her. But I, it made me think, like his body broke down before his time. Really, spent spent a lot of the latter part of his career injured. That was just that bad shoulder. And I'm not saying the the constant playing made a difference. I think it was probably you know he was going to go when he went. But it's just funny to hear this 24-year-old Peter Sterling thinking that he's invincible and <laughs> not knowing what was, you know, just around the corner. He probably thought he had a, um, a thick head of hair as well. It's going to last forever. <laughs> but crazily, for for Parramatta, in the, the, 80, the start of the 85 season, they were missing six players from their first grade, grade squad who were playing in England. Amazing. Like, not only Sterling and Kenny, but Eric Groth, uh, John Muggleton, Neil Hunt... But what about like how exciting the English game would have been then with all these superstars there? Well, this is, this is what I want to get to. So John Money was the Parramatta coach of the time, and when I was thinking about it, I was like, why? Why weren't like so? Kenny and Sterling didn't play for Parramatta until May of nineteen eighty five. They missed like the first eleven games of the year, and my first thought when I realised that was like, why weren't people blowing up? Like, if you're a Para fan, why why were you just accepting that? That was okay. Yeah, yeah. And um, it actually came up and it was asked of John Money, And the reason it happened was that all the players were off contract. He said this, they were free agents to do what they wanted to do. They wanted to play in England in the off-season. And if we allowed them to do that, then they would re-sign with Para. That was the position that we were put in. But then Peter Sterling came out later and, or earlier than that when he first signed with Hull and said, I'm in a different position than the others because I'm under contract for next year. It will be a case, as far as I'm concerned, of the two clubs coming to an arrangement. So with Kenny and Growth off contract and free to play in England, Parramatta still allowed Sterling to go. Yeah. And you just think, like, A, that's terrible club management, but B, like, we could have been robbed of this, like, moment in rugby league folklore if cooler heads had prevailed and told Sterling to wait until the next year. Well, I think it's actually um, genius on Parramatta's part to keep him there as a dynasty because it, 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 sort of, it seems like the sort of guy who would repay loyalty. Yeah. He's given that opportunity and mm. then he stayed his whole career there. And Sterling speaks so glowingly about his time at Hull. It's actually quite beautiful to hear him speak about yeah. the regard he has for it. I remember his book, he was... Uh, yeah. He said it in his book and in several interviews before and after that it was the most rewarding time of his football career. I mean, the crowd at this Challenge Cup final. Yeah, yeah. It was pandemonium. Yeah. There's no way to describe it. Oh, and there's something about that those those games that we remember, those Wembley games, with just the players going up into the into the grandstand to get the trophy. Yeah, yeah. I always love that. It's yeah. just one of those iconic things about sport in England. Awesome. Um, in the in the the lead up in in the semi final replay. Uh, Peter Sterling's hull played against uh, Castleford, who fielded an aging Malcolm Reilly, and really actually eye gouged Peter Sterling. Really? Yeah. Jesus. 
Uh, I'll, I'll read this. This was Sterling's quote at the time. I had the highest regard for Ely before that. Now I feel he is a washed-up has-been. <laughs> what did he say that to his face? <laughs> <laughs> but um, we'll turn to the final itself. And as we said, we both sat down and watched it for, for the first time. My my thoughts on this game were, beyond what a great game it is, it was so fun to watch. I was astounded. And it's, it's like when, I, when I watch old games on Fox of... Um... Uh, NRL, ARL, whatever it was called, Winfield Cup, even more so with this Challenge Cup, the players look so small and the field looks so huge. Yeah. And they're only like 15 kilos lighter, mm. but for some reason, it looks like there's so much open space. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. Like, it's, like, it's like they're playing on an AFL field yeah. or something. Well, you know, Sterling's playing weight at that time was 70 kilos. <laughs> oh, my God. Even Kenny was quite slow. Yeah, yeah. But um, even when you think of the great Australian Rugby League Grand Finals, you know, your 89, your 2015. Like, awesome games that I'll remember forever, but I wouldn't say they were fun, Yeah, if you know what I mean. You want to talk about bright rugby? Yeah, yeah, that that was my other thought. Like, this is the absolute epitome of bright football. But it's like, um, I don't know, it just seemed like these days the players take up so much space, whether it's physical or mm. what they can cover in defence. The, the field looks so small yeah. and the defence is more dominant. Mm. This looked like there was so much attacking space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Incredible. But just the audacity of the play. Like there, there was one moment where uh, there was a, a scrum, hole on the scrum, Sterling ran blind, um, made a break, and then passed it inside. Uh, oh, so, so the scrum was within the, the, you know, the 20 metres of, of the goal line. Sterling runs blind, makes this break, passes inside. It's it's intercepted by um, Henderson Gill for Wigan, and I, it, it struck me that if that happened in an NRL match, you'd be going, "Why did he pass it? It was first tackle." It's something that ends an Origin career. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was just such an attacking game, wasn't it? Mm. But let's bring up the elephant in the room: Is Brett Kenny an immortal? He is. Phenomenal! Like the try he scored, Brett Kenny receiving the ball and hitting a hole in space is one of the most beautiful sights in, in sport. I, I never saw Gaznia except on film. Uh, is that is he the most graceful player yeah. I've seen? Oh, absolutely! Like, and the funny thing is that try that he scored, he, he was involved in four tries, four of Wigan's five tries, played a pivotal role in three of them. The individual try he scored where he probably ran about 40 metres to get it, that was probably the least impressive. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, he set up this beautiful try where he, this like pinpoint, like rocket of a cutout pass for Wigan, uh, for, for, yeah, for Wigan's third try. Then at the start of the second half, a dummy to rival his 81 grand final try to set up Sean Edwards under the post. Yeah, young Sean Edwards playing fullback. Yeah, yeah. Looked about sixty-five yeah, kilos. Yeah. <laughs> um, but all right, so devil's advocate here is Peter Sterling's success uh, somewhat reliant on the fact that he had Brett Kenny next to him. I think you could argue the same thing about Kenny. My thoughts watching the game were it was it kind of takes Sterling and Kenny playing against each other to fully realise why they work so well together. Like, it's just the perfect complement, like this fire and ice. It's almost like Daily Stewart, the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Running, passing, organising, yeah. swashbuckling. Yeah. 
and you had Sterling just this like puppet master game on a string. Kenny just injecting himself at these key moments with unbelievable plays. Um, they always talk about balance on the great athletes, English, etc. But the balance on this guy, mm. just full, full, full speed swerving, never losing a, an ounce of speed, yeah. gaining speed as, yeah. he, as he swerves. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but there was actually a lot of talk after the game and to this day as to whether actually Sterling deserved the Lance Todd over Kenny. I don't think so. I, I think that Kenny in the end had a greater influence on the game, so I agree with the decision. But I think over the course of 80 minutes, I thought Sterling was incredible. He was, but they didn't get the win. Yeah. Kenny got them the win. Mm. There were some great um, names in the, in the squads, um, names that we used to hear about, James Lulawai. Yeah, yeah. So you always hear about him as like uh, Thomas's father yeah. and Kylie's uncle, mm. and this guy was amazing, but we didn't yeah. really see him. Yeah, and he scored the try that made it 28-24, gave Hull a, a chance to win it with, with a few minutes left. That try he scored, that was reminiscent of Blacklock 99. Yeah, yeah. Like he just came from nowhere. Absolutely, and yeah. But also um, Gary Schofield, young Gary Schofield mm. on the bench. Yeah, yeah, and controversially benched for the game. Yeah. Peter Sterling, who uh, he had a really beautiful tribute to the whole coach who died earlier in the year, but he said that was one of his key missteps was leaving Schofield on the bench. We've got to bring yeah. up um, one of my all-time favourite players, but probably my, the reason I support Canberra, John Chicker Ferguson. Oh, so Chicka Ferguson flew over... For the match. That's hardcore. Yeah. Um, so unlike Sterling and Kenny, Chica played the first eight rounds or so of the, the New South Wales Rugby League season after playing 20-odd games for Wigan in the, in the Australian off-season. So he plays for Wigan, goes back to the Roosters, plays eight games there, comes over the, the week of the Challenge Cup final. Amazing. Scores two tries. Goes back to Australia. About five line breaks. Yeah. Goes back to Australia, wins the Dalian winger of the year. What a season. I, I feel... He's one of the most underrated wingers of all time. I was ex- ex- going to say the exact same thing. I think because of the iconic nature of him, the smoking on the sidelines, the, the laconic kind of yeah. way he went about it, you, you don't really think about him as a footballer enough. He's, he's the reason why the 1989 Premiership happened. Mm. He scored that try yeah. to save the game. Yeah, um, he was top try scorer or near, near enough every season he played. Just yeah, about. yeah. <laughs> what a great career! Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, um, and the bloke on the other wing, Henderson Gill. What a jet! He reminded me of um, a sprinter. Yeah, so low to the ground, yeah, chunky, yeah. and like, yeah. oh my god! Uh, he he ended up um, going back to his native Huddersfield. Where he became a, a rapper and a DJ. <laughs> I, I looked up his career. He had, a good, he had quite a distinguished career. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's uh, it's the one thing that I I, um, I love about the English game. Like we had the wonderful Islander and Indigenous input. They have the Islander input over there, but they also have the West, West Indian, Indian. Yeah, yeah. Uh, input. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Martin Afire, Ellery. Um, just just on Ellery Hanley, I, I wanted to bring this up at some point. So this game and, and these Australian legends have become part of the folklore in English in the English rugby league. I think we're denied 
Ellery Hanley having the same stature because of what Terry Lamb did to him in the grand final. People hate Bar for that to this day. Ellery Hanley in eight games at Balmain. Like, can you believe it was only eight games? <laughs> but that's the same as Haynes' run. That's all it takes yeah. to be in folklore. Yeah, yeah. And that was yeah. a Haynes esque run. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, when when we get to to talking about non uh, NRL years for Hall of Fame, I, I want to talk about Ellery Hanley. Absolutely. Like, what a genius. He, he was, I think, voted like best English player of all time. And, but when you had guys like Lewis and you know Meninga and Eminent Australian legends just saying no, he's he's one to watch. He's yeah, like, yeah, that's the respect. Mm. But uh, back to Kenny and Sterling, I, I think this game and the their stints in the UK in general reveal a lot of the, the differences between them, like both in the way they carry themselves on the field and maybe their diverging paths post football. Um, one, one of the things that has been etched into the folklore is uh, Ray French commenting before the game that Kenny looked like he didn't want to be there because he had his hands in his pockets. Yeah, I kept going on about it, didn't he? Um, what an odd thing to say before the game and then to have Kenny play the game he did, it just like adds so much to the, to the occasion and the folklore, doesn't it? Um, that's just so Kenny though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And... Um, Sterling has talked at length about like what the Hull stint meant to him, but also the English game in general. Uh, and he said this about the, the the Challenge Cup final. My dad was a big fan of the Challenge Cup, and he would always wake me up to watch the game. Years later, here I was at Wembley playing for Hull. It was unbelievable. The Cup final was one of the greatest days of my life, and even though we lost the game, I, I felt successful still being in that losing team. The cup was always special to me, and to get the chance to play in the final for those Hull fans is something I'll never forget. What just the crowd alone wouldn't, wouldn't let you forget it? Yeah, but uh, he also the the coach Arthur Bunting made a massive impact on him as well. Was that the old gentleman with the brill cream and the cigar? I think so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it looked like organized. That was awesome. Out. That that was the other great thing. Like seeing these. Old guys in suits with white or red roses smoking cigars <laughs> on the sideline. It was magical, yeah. Um, but on, what he said about Bunting was, was actually really beautiful. So I, I just want to read this out as well. This was only in June this year. I'm devastated. Arthur was one of my favourite people in the world, and the world as a whole is a lesser place for him no longer being in it. When I came back to Hull over 10 years ago now, I had the opportunity to bring my wife and young daughter over. And that was so special for me because I wanted to give them an idea of why the city meant so much to me. Having to meet Arthur and the players and see how they'd had such an impact on my life was important to me. And I'm thankful my family had that chance. Wow. And conversely, Kenny has also talked about his Wigan time and and what it meant to him. And, and, you know, Wigan have organised benefits on his behalf with all the the troubles he's, he's going through at the moment, which is really great. But at the same time, it's we like Kenny Sterling is obviously so steeped in rugby league history, and and you know, this stuff kind of matters to him. Whereas Kenny, it, it seems like he carried himself off the field the way he was on the field, you know, like just not too fast, and, and he was just like, okay, he was like, he said, you know, oh, I originally wanted to sign for the same club as one of my para teammates, like Hull or Leeds, where Eric Growth was. 
And I think a couple of were at Oldham, but I ended up at Wigan. It couldn't have worked out better, though, because I had so many fond memories of my time there. And every time I go back to England, I'm made to feel so welcome. But then when um, he was asked about winning the Lance Todd Trophy and what that meant to him, he said this. I probably didn't appreciate the magnitude of the Lance Todd at the time. I suppose I treated it like a regular man in the match award. But afterwards, people explained it to me and pointed out that I was the first overseas winner of it. Similarly, the golden boot was something I didn't know too much about. I actually thought it was for goal kickers at first. And they asked him about his Australian sports medal and said, I'd forgotten all about the Australian sports medal until I was cleaning out a couple of cupboards at home recently. But it's on display now and it was very prestigious to win. It says all you need to know about Brett Kenny. It's, but it, doesn't it so reflect them as players? There's Sterling yeah. the thinker and Kenny the natural. Yeah, just the ultimate natural. Yeah. That's why I think he's probably, in my view, weighing up the Australian stuff, the Test stuff, the Origin stuff, and now watching that 1984 final and the impact he's had over there. Mm. I think he should be next in line to be made. Yeah, well, it's funny. All the, the players who, who I've mentioned in History Corners previously who named their you know best players since they played, all your Rapers and Frank Hydes and all, all the rest of them, they all, all said Kenny and Sterling were both like way, way up there. They all ultimately gave the nod to, to Sturlow. Really? Yeah. I've probably got a bit of a block on Sturlow just because I find him a little bit annoying. But, like, um, he's not a flashy player. And that's probably where, where my block mm. on him is. Kenny's just got that ultimate flash. Yeah. The natural. Yeah. yeah. I can't do Sturlow. I mean, the guy had an yeah. unbelievable career. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, Kenny, just outstanding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, yeah, like... What what a game! Like what a, what a brilliant advertisement for rugby league. And if we could get back to that sort of play, yeah. sort of wrestling yeah. and grinding and yeah. bombs and well, well, this is the thing. I think even without those tactics and the actual playing side, I think the stakes are just too high in Australian rugby league to ever allow a game of that magnitude to be so open. But it's like the stakes are so high because they're always like one week away from being bankrupt. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, we need this win. Like, um, but there's always the vibe. Go to England, it's an open game. We'll suit this guy's play because, you know, he's a bit old here, but he can, he can yeah. ball play over there and blah, mm. blah, blah. Well, I think we're just lucky to have the Super League still going. Yeah. Because there's, there's two there's two rugby league countries in the world, isn't there? Mm. Like Australasia and yeah. Bloody yeah. Northern England. Um, one th- one thing I mentioned the red and white roses that um, you know that the fans were wearing. I'll never understand why the War of the Roses did- game didn't work. Yeah, like it's it seems that if, if you try to artif- artificially manufacture like it, it's like why AFL State of Origin didn't work because there was just no okay. it, it was made up. But like that's a four hundred year old rivalry, and then somehow <laughs> it didn't work as a as a game. Um. I want to go on, I don't think you can even do it these days, but my dream was to go on a kangaroo tour with an ex-player who yeah, was yeah. running one, you know, yeah. like a, I think Brett Kenny might have run one actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think Steve Roach ran one in 94. Yeah. But, um. I think Robbie Farris just started a, a sporting dreams tour, tour company, so. First stop, the Leichhardt scoreboard. <laughs> you get your photo with the can. <laughs> Um, here's how you really make a club employee. <laughs> but, um, yeah, mate, that was, 
magnificent that game. Yeah. I can't even can't even describe it. Mm. I want to watch it again. Yeah, honestly, get on YouTube and watch it, uh, listeners, because you, you won't regret it. Yeah, yeah, just phenomenal. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.